Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be in church today. I think um, probably if maybe we could persuade Brother Jones to come up here and teach instead of me. One last chance? <laughs> no. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23 through 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 23 through 24. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I taught last week on, on failure, and I, uh, I really had a tough time getting off that subject, and so I, I'm going to continue on with, I'm not going to finish what I didn't finish, but I'm just going to continue on with a thought about Barnabas that I couldn't get off of my mind this week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23 through 24. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, given, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh. Let's pray as, as you're, before you're seated. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the opportunity to be in church today, the freedoms that you've allowed us in a, this great country. We pray, Lord, that you'd put your anointing upon me. I pray, Lord, that you'd give me the words to speak to your great people. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. So last week I spoke. I'm just going to I'm going to just quickly go through Barnabas again, and and um, but it <clears throat> it I was talking about Mark's failure on the on Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, and um, <clears throat> you know uh, Mark had a had a good reason to hang his head. You know he ended up quitting that that journey and going back to Jerusalem and. And of course, there's Barnabas, who's, who's the friend of a failure, is what I called him. The name Barnabas means son of consolation, son of exhort, exhortation, son of comfort. He was the first to believe in Saul, bringing him to the apostles when they were afraid. It appears that he was able to look at the potential in a person and not his failures. Barnabas believed in Mark but Paul did not. We know from scripture that Barnabas was correct. We know that, that Barnabas was correct in his assumption on, on Mark and Paul eventually reconciled with Mark. He said in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And you probably have figured this out that I love this quote. I've done, I think this is the fourth time, but, but this comes from the Premier Study Bible, and it says, I'll go into the, let's see here. In his lifetime, Barnabas might not have reached the third heaven as did Paul, but he was possibly simply too busy building scaffolding for other men of God such as Paul and Mark. And I just, I absolutely love that quote. I love that quote, and I would, I would love to be a Barnabas. 
And years later, Paul benefited from Barnabas giving Mark a second chance and working with him. Mark, was, Mark became profitable to Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. There's hints that he was a companion with Peter and we even worked as an interpreter. And some historians believe Mark also worked in the church at Alexandria. <clears throat> in Acts, Acts chapter 15 and verse 39, it's, it talks about this contention between, <clears throat> between Paul and Barnabas about taking Mark. And it says, and the contention was so sharp between them, and it actually means an angry dispute that they departed asunder one from another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So Barnabas believed Mark was worth fighting for. They were in a fight, they were in an argument, a sharp disagreement, but Barnabas believed Mark was worth fighting for. Paul believed that Mark was no, of no value. Barnabas fought his way right out of the pages of the Bible. He fought, his, he fought his way. Barnabas isn't mentioned again. I, I believe that's correct. If he is mentioned, it's briefly. Barnabas is mentioned briefly. So he fought, he fought his way right out of the pages of the Bible. Or did he? Question mark. Or did he? Recovering from failure is always possible, and it certainly helps when we have somebody like Barnabas. We need to be a Barnabas. So the context, the context of the scripture I, I read is uh, verses uh, 12 through 27 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Paul is, he's making a comparison between the human body and the body of Christ. The church with the, with the emphasis that the members are one with different purpose to the body and they, are, they have equal importance. That's what the context of that scripture, the two verses I was, I was uh, reading. <clears throat> and the view of the body is from the bottom up. It, if you read those, it starts from the bottom up, starts from the feet and goes up, and then it starts from the top and goes down. In those, those uh, what is it, 15 verses of scripture. And it, and, um, it's telling us we cannot look down on a member or think less of ourselves. We can't, we can't envy somebody because they have a different purpose within the church and we can't, we can't look down at somebody because we think we have a greater purpose in the church. And, and again, one person is not more important than another. The scripture proves that a Christian not in a church is impossible. If we say we're a Christian, we have to be in a church because we're not in the body of Christ. And that, that scripture proves it. There's, of course, there can be some exceptions, right? I guess I did write that down. There's, there can be exceptions because there could be somebody, is in a, they get saved and they, they move someplace, they go someplace, get saved, they go back to their home and there's no church there. So, but I believe God would work that out. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14 talks about this, the beginning of the, this, it says, for the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. 
so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink one into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So this is what, this is the context of the scripture of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23 through 24. And again, it says, I'll read the text again. And these members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. So what does that mean? That's a mouthful. So let me, <clears throat> to get a little bit of clarity, let me read verse 23 in two different, two different um, versions. To what did Paul say? Sometimes it's pretty hard to understand, right? The Bible even tells us that. In the New Living Translation, it says, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. And the NIV says, and the parts that we think less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. So what Paul is talking about here, and I don't wanna be too graphic in this, but Paul is talking about the body parts we cover up. He's talking about the body parts we cover up. And he's, he's saying this about the church. And um, remember, <clears throat> Paul is comparing a human body to the body of Christ, the church. He's saying just like the human body, the church has some parts or members that are hidden. And I'm gonna teach today on what I titled a tribute to the hidden a tribute to the hidden you know <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something I'm going to be careful here I might stumble around for a little bit but I'm going to tell you something that really bothers me it um, but before I do I want to tell you when when somebody says something, you would be able to pull something that I say right here today and you'd be able to go run with it unless if, if you're able to take it out of context. But the reality is everything has to be in context. If I say something, you can't, you could run with it and you know, it would be like being political, right? That's what they do. They take something somebody says and they take it out of context and then they play just a little snippet of it and, and this, this, this per politician is bad because he said this. Meanwhile, if you put it in context, it's okay. So I'm gonna say that disclaimer for something I really dislike. And <clears throat> it really bothers me. And this is it. I've heard that, and again, Remember, I, I can, I can, there are contexts that people can say this and it's okay. So, this bothers me. 
there is sometimes a speaker can come to a congregation and they can look over the congregation of children and youth and young people and they'll make this statement. They'll say, we're looking at the future preachers and preachers' wives, the missionaries and missionary wives, the future district sec uh, superintendent and secretary. They will say that. And um, I've been, well, I'll just, I have never one time, never one time, have I ever heard anybody get up and make that statement and say, I have, I am looking at the future van drivers, the lawnmowers, the maintenance people, the greeters, the ushers, the church cleaners. They have never said that. Never one time have they said that. And <clears throat> this contributes to the lie that only the visible leaders are worthy of consideration. We can just overlook the support of the faithful saints who are willing to look in the less, work in the less visible areas of God's kingdom. This is a total contradiction to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 27. It's a total contra contradiction to it. It does not promote unity, it actually promotes division. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, further on in this, this chapter, in verse, verse 25, it says that, and the, he's saying the reason to think of a body is, is that there be no schism in the body, which is no division, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. He's tell, Paul is telling us this is the reason why I'm comparing it to the body, is because because I don't want a division in the body and I want you guys, I want the, all the saints in the church to help one another. They look at each other equally. If Paul would be using, if he would have used the parts of the body like the heart, it would support that you could say, you could say, yeah, this is the future, these are the future preachers and the, the future district secretary and this is, you could, you could justify that, but he does not use the heart because the heart is a member that is absolutely necessary, right? It's vital. We, can, we can't live without the heart, but we can live without an eye. We can live without a hand. We can live without a foot. We can live, but we cannot live with a, without a heart. There's other vital organs that we cannot live without. And Paul uses zero of those. None. None. But he does use the hidden parts. He uses the parts of the body that nobody can see. He uses the parts that, that are not visible. And this is a tribute to the hidden a tribute to the hidden of the church. <clears throat> some of the greatest workers, some of the greatest workers in the kingdom of God are too often little known or, and unnoticed, but they don't worry about get, who gets the credit, which usually translates into getting things done. 
There's, you know, there is examples in, in Luke chapter eight, verse one through three. There is, the Bible records this. And it came to pass afterwards as he, Jesus, went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils and Joanna, the wife of uh, Chosa, uh, Herod's steward and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Here's people that are just, they're just, I had to look these up. I had to, I had to, because you know what? Everybody knows the stories of David, right? Everybody knows the story of, of David and, and Goliath. Everybody knows the stories of Elijah and Elijah and everybody knows all those stories but the stories of those unknown people, I had to search for them because they're, they're people that are, not, that are just not known in the Bible. We don't know them off the top of our heads. But here it is, it says, and um, they ministered unto Jesus with their substance. Jesus needed substance. He needed he needed. Uh, uh, food, clothing. He's three and a half years. He, what else? He, whatever else was needed, they provided for him. These women, and and it says, and certain women that aren't even named, just certain women. In Luke chapter twenty, <clears throat> oops, Luke chapter twenty-one, verse one through four. Here gives an example of of really what. Uh, the widow and her two mites. And he looked up and saw the rich man casting their gifts in the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow, a certain poor widow, a certain poor widow, not even naming the name, casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow has cast more than they all. For all these have their of their abundance cast in the offering of God. And she of her of her purity, well, I don't know, penury, has cast in all the living she has. She has. So, my point with this is, what the way we view stuff, and the way God views stuff are two different things. We end up. We think. We think the the um, the greatest the greatest giver is is somebody to be honored and exalted and meanwhile Jesus saying it's not about what's given it's about what's left and here's a woman that's she's just a, a widow woman that gave everything gave everything and there's first Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 or second Timothy excuse me chapter 1 and verse 5 when I call to to remembrance the unframed faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is also in thee. Would there have been a Eunice without a Lois? Of course, that's her mother, right? There wouldn't be, but I'm just saying faith-wise, right? 
Would there be a Timothy without a Eunice? Would there be a Paul without a Barnabas? Would there be a David without a uh, Jonathan? You know, we, we think of the, the ones that are the great ones, right? We think, of, we think of David, but what about his good friend Jonathan? What about, what about Paul and Barnabas? Of course, there's Ananias also in, in uh, Paul's life that we don't, we don't give much credit to him, but we look at Paul as this great, this great person. Boy, this is going to be short. So, would there be a Peter without an Andrew? Peter, his place in the kingdom of God looms large. Peter, among with James and John, were in Jesus' inner circle. Peter was the first that the Spirit revealed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And at the time that Jesus gave, at that time, Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom. Peter was used so mightily that the people of Jerusalem would lay their sick in the streets, hoping that his shadow would fall on them and, he, and heal them. Peter, with the keys, opened the kingdom of God to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Peter wrote two epistles included in the New Testament. Would there be a Peter without an Andrew? This is about the tribute to the hidden. Andrew, we have no biblical record of any sermon that he ever preached. He did not contribute any writings to our Bible. He wasn't in Jesus' inner circle. The Bible actually mentions him. I, sh I should have looked it up. I found two when I was studying for this. I found two places. The Bible actually mentions him as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Doesn't just doesn't just doesn't call him Andrew. Calls him. He links him to Simon Peter. The Bible does. So then, <clears throat> you know, Andrew was he was a fisherman. He was a disciple. He became a disciple of John the Baptist. And one day, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh, I think that's what he said. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, uh, Andrew goes, Whoa, I guess, I guess I'll follow him. So he ends up, him and another unnamed disciple of John end up going to going with Jesus and, and they said they said like where do you where do you sleep or where do you rest or something like that. They asked that's what they asked him, which kind of was strange to me that they would they would say that and, and so he took Jesus took him to wherever he was staying. And so apparently, maybe they just wanted to know, they wanted to have an intimate conversation with him and, and talk with him. And so they ended up doing that. And Andrew became one of the first disciples of Jesus. And so then he ends up, he ends up turning and going to Peter and saying, I have found the Messiah. And so he leads, he introduces he introduces Peter 
to Jesus. I still remember when I, I wasn't in the church, I bet I wasn't in the church a oh, few months, and actually the Sunday school lesson back then, somebody preached about that, that, that scripture. <clears throat> and it's, the scripture was it, about Andrew saying, I found the Messiah, and coming and introducing Jesus to, to um, uh, Peter. And I, when he said that, the person was teaching, I don't remember who was teaching it, and I thought of myself, and my name is Peter. And I thought about my brother, younger brother Bob, and him introducing me to Jesus. He introduced me to Jesus. He came, he came, to, came to me, and he said, I found the Messiah. You know, I didn't even know. He didn't say those words, but he just talked about God, and he, he received the Holy Ghost, and I knew there was something different in his life. And uh, he introduced me to Jesus. <clears throat> so then in chapter, John chapter 12, John chapter 12, Philip introduces some Greeks to Jesus. <clears throat> he says... <clears throat> What happens is Philip, there's some Greeks come to Philip, and then Phil, and Philip goes, ends up going to Andrew, and he said, we want to we wanna meet with Jesus, and then he goes to Andrew, and Andrew, and it says, Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. And you can, you can look at the scripture, the scripture doesn't say that he doesn't, um, he doesn't, uh, that there's a meeting, but you can, I guess you can read between the lines and see that that Andrew actually the request was uh, was not denied by Jesus and then maybe I better talk slower and then in Mark in John chapter 6 tells us about Andrew introducing a lad with a lunch to Jesus. And it, the story is, <clears throat> the story, the narrative is that Jesus, there's a multitude, it's his, his ministry, and there's multitudes following him. He ends up out with, <clears throat> out in the uh, wilderness where they, they, have to, they have to feed him. And of course, you know, there's some there's some things that happen. There's some there's some things that happen in our lives and and that are introduced by Jesus. You know, when Jesus sends the apostles across the across the 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 sea and there's a storm. Well, they're in a they're in a God-given storm, and this is the same situation. They're Jesus ministers to the people. They need food to supply their their body, their physical body. It's what is it like? A, is it is it some accident that Jesus didn't know this was going to happen? Of course not. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly how it was going to be taken care of, and so he ends up he ends up saying to the the, the disciples, he goes, feed them. And of course, 
you know, that's just a test, right? They're like, whoa, how are we going to feed 5,000 people? You know, it can't be done. Well, they fail, the, the disciples fail the test. Well, then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then they come to Philip, he, and, and uh, Philip, he answered and said, uh, give, uh, excuse me. Yeah, and this is actually in Mark 6. Give them to, Jesus says, give them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny, uh, penny worth of bread and give it to them? That's actually the disciples. They, when, so it says the, the disciples answered him that. Is that we, it can't be done. Well, then all of a sudden Philip is involved in it. And Jesus lift up his eyes. And this is John 6 and saw a great company come unto him and, and said unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? He's saying this, he's asking this question to, to Philip. And he said to prove him, for he, he himself knew that he would, what he would do. Uh, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, again, Simon Peter's brother saith unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fish. And he's, but what are they among so many? So, and Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So, that, so the men sat down. The number was about 5,000. So here it is, Andrew comes and says, he brings, he introduces this lad with a lunch to Jesus. And of course, we're thinking, we're thinking, well, he doesn't have no faith. What's, he says, he said, uh, but what are the, they among so many? But there must have been that, that twinge of faith in, in Andrew's life, right? And this, even his statement to bring him to Jesus and say, hey, this is what we got to work with. And Jesus will work with our little bit of faith and a little bit that we have. Jesus will work with it. Andrew, <clears throat> a tribute to the hidden. He wasn't like his brother. He wasn't uh, in the inner circle. He was just a, one of those hidden apostles. You know, at, at minister's training... At minister's training, <clears throat> Brother Harrelson did it at camp this year. And he went to, he went, I believe Brother Kelsey Griffin was an instructor at uh, Texas Bible College in, down in Texas. Imagine that, right? Wasn't in South Carolina, it was in Texas. But, but Texas Bible College and, and um, <clears throat> And he said that Brother Kelsey Griffin would out, he would say these, these things. He said, he said, don't judge people on how good they can preach or how big his church is. You're going to be shocked on Judgment Day. The Lord is going to call someone that, and everybody is going to say, who? They had a small church and a small, in a hard town. And I believe that's the way Judgment Day is going to be. 
there's going to be some hidden there's going to be some hidden people that are going to go in first there's going to be some you know it isn't all about standing up here that's not what it's about there's some hidden people in this church in his body that are great men and women of God that'll go in before me I remember at camp years ago years ago that brother Enzi he he was he was teaching and he he told a story about and I don't remember I might get some of these details I'll do the best I can with remembering it but there was a girl that was in I believe she was in Florida and she was a he said she was a popular cheerleader and she ended something happened that she became paralyzed in high school she was not in the church and somebody ended up witnessing to her she ended up getting in the church getting saved and she ended up graduating and the girl told her parents she wanted to go to Texas Bible College and so she they scheduled a flight to go there and look at it and they actually I believe they actually even told J.R. Enzi who was the president of the Texas Bible College he told told them please discourage her from coming to Bible College and and there was just no way to discourage her she ended up coming to Bible College and she she had a tough time she suffered I don't remember it was I wish I, I should have probably I got the, the tape somewhere I should listen to it um, and got this story correct but she ended up coming and said she was such an inspiration to everybody she there were people that were normally healthy and they could they could uh, get to class and get to devotion but they didn't but her she was always on time she always did. and he said he should have been the person that was that was um, was encouraging her people should have been encouraging her she had so much going against her but she said he said that she was actually the one encouraging other people and he said he would he had the pressures of being the president of the college and he said then he said she would slip him an encouraging note that would lift him up and he said he said this girl is going to go into the kingdom before me she ended up passing away I don't remember what the details on her passing away but he said this girl is going to go into the kingdom before me a Bible I mean a great great man of God and that's his assumption is that she was greater than me we don't know her name everybody well lots of people know J.R. Enzi's name a tribute to the hidden a tribute to the hidden No one but God knows what you mean to the kingdom. Our 
our hats are off to you. There's no fanfare or presence in front of the congregation. You're willing to work in the obscure and less visible areas of the, of the kingdom of God. Our hats are off to you. Faithful, consistent, and true. Our hats are off to you. When the preacher looks over the congregation and mentions, we are looking at the future preachers and preachers' wives, missionaries and missionary wives, district superintendent, the list goes on. There's no mention of the hidden member. This does not offend you because you're comfortable in your own skin. Our hats are off to you. No pride or arrogance, our hats are off to you. The preacher dreams of preaching general conference. The writer dreams of the best-selling book. The musician and singer dreams of general conference and going into a recording studio. The Bible study teacher dreams of Paul-like results. But you are content right where you are. Our hats are off to you. We would ask you to stand and take a bow, but that would never happen. You were saying, who me? I'm just an insignificant saint. No. You are significant. Our hats are off to you. No man can bear witness of himself and Jesus at the same time to the unassuming hidden of the church. Our hats are off to you. There is hidden treasures in this church. Our hats are off to you. Let's stand. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. My hat's off to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your people. We thank you for those unassuming, humble people that just work in your kingdom. We thank you for them, Lord. You're a great God. You're a great and great God. Oh, you're a great God. We thank you for the body. We thank you for all the members. Lord, we thank you. You're a great God. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you'd touch these unassuming members. We pray that you'd strengthen them. You'd encourage them. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We magnify you. A tribute to the hidden. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.